On a Friday night in December every year, Santa Rita Ranch has a, a, a Christmas festival that they throw for the residents of Santa Rita Ranch. And the last couple of years, uh, they've asked us to come and sing Christmas carols uh, at the event. And so it's a really pretty cool event. I mean, they have fake snow for kids. They have hot chocolate and, and food. Uh, we're there singing Christmas carols. Uh, Santa comes down in, in, a, in a sled and, uh, oh, it's so much fun. Um, the head developer gets up and, and he asks me to get up and say a prayer, which I always then end my prayer with the reason for the season, and that is that Jesus came to the earth to save us from our sins. The head developer himself gets, gets up and he kind of does a State of the Union address about Santa Rita and where we're at, and then he also puts a message about the reason for the season, and that is Jesus. It's a pretty cool event, and uh, next year, if we get asked to come back, you should come and sing with us because uh, it's a one, it's a blast to sing Christmas carols. Number two, the event is just a cool event. Uh, we sing for an hour, and then the last hour, we get to hang out and enjoy it. But what you may not know is that not everybody enjoys that event. Uh, he has had several people reach out to him saying that he needs to be respectful of everybody's belief. He's had people reach out to him and say, that church that's singing Christmas carols cannot talk about Jesus. They can sing Jingle Bells, they can sing all those songs, but they cannot sing about Jesus. And we don't want to hear you talking about Jesus. And so what does he do? What do we do as a church who are there singing Christmas carols about Jesus? Do we back down? Do we not offend anybody? Or do we continue proclaiming Jesus born, Jesus risen from the dead? That's what we're there for. Sermon over. Amen. (laughs) But the disciples Peter and John had a similar experience uh, in Acts chapter 4 today that we're going to look at. It's a continuation from last week in Acts chapter 3 where Peter and John, they they go up into the temple and as they walk into the temple, there is a a beggar there who hasn't been able to walk since birth. And Peter comes by, the man asks him for money, and Peter says, I'm going to give you something better. Walk in the name of Jesus. And this man, who's been unable to walk for 40 plus years of his life, all of a sudden jumps up and starts praising God, walking around and jumping. And so all the people in the temple come over to Peter and John and and they say, what's going on? And Peter says, don't look at us as if we've done this. This is all from God. And he he, uh, begins to explain who Jesus is, what we've done to Jesus, and what Jesus has done for us. And everybody starts to praise God. People are coming to faith in Jesus and they're praising God. The only problem is that they're in the temple. And who else is in the temple? The priests and the Jewish people, the Jewish leaders who don't believe in Jesus. And this is a problem. And so they come to Peter and John and confront them. And we pick up in Acts chapter 4, verse 1. Here's what happened. The priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. 
Uh, just a note why this was also alarming for them. The Sadducees were a religious group. We've got the Sadducees and the Pharisees. We talk a lot about the Pharisees. They're, they're the really big rule followers. Uh, they have rules on top of rules on top of rules. The Sadducees were another religious group in the Jewish religion, and they didn't believe in anything spiritual. And so you talk about the resurrection of the dead. They said there is no resurrection of the dead. No angels, no demons, no, uh, no soul going up to heaven. No, uh, this life is all that you have. The only thing in heaven is God. And so it's very alarming to them that they're preaching Jesus rose from the dead because there is no resurrection from the dead. According to the Sadducees, you want a, uh, a really kind of corny way to remember that? The Sadducees don't believe in the resurrection. They're sad, you see. <laughs> yeah, I know. I didn't make it up, so don't look at me as if I'm the corny one. I'm just relaying the message. Uh, okay, no resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed. So the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. So put yourself into Peter and John's sandals here for a second. You preach and teach Jesus, and all these people are, are coming to you, they're listening, and then the priests come and they throw you into jail where you sit for maybe up to 12 hours. And what do you do all night? You sit there and wonder what's going to happen in the morning. And you sit down and you wonder, well, if this happens, then that happens. And you come up with all the outcomes that could possibly happen. Because these are powerful men who just threw them into, the, into prison. Imagine if, if we're out at the Christmas festival singing Christmas carols and we're singing Jesus and all of a sudden police officers come and they arrest us and throw us in jail overnight. Imagine all, uh, the outcomes we would be thinking. Peter and John spend the night in prison wondering what's going to happen. Meanwhile, the good news, the, the number of people who believed went up to about 5,000 people. Only problem? Peter and John probably don't know this. They're in prison. And so they preached the Word. They preached the good news about Jesus. It had its effect, and yet they probably didn't know that. They're sitting in jail overnight, wondering if what they even did mattered. All they know is that they're in prison now because they preached Jesus. And then the morning comes. And here's what happened then. The next day, the rulers, the elders, and the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priest, was there, and so were Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and others of the high priest's family. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. By what power or what name did you do this? So in the morning, the elders and the teachers of the law brought Peter and John before them. And Annas, the high priest, Caiaphas, John, and Alexander were there. Anybody know who these were? These four men were. These were the exact same four men that led the charge to put Jesus to death. Caiaphas was the chief priest. He is the pastor of the pastors in the Jewish religion. He was the one standing before Pilate, yelling, crucify him, and riling up the crowd to crucify Jesus. That's this same man that Peter and John get brought before. 
what would you be feeling then? As you know, this is the guy who kind of led the charge to put Jesus to death. Would you start getting a little fearful? Feeling a little intimidated? I think that's fair. If they put Jesus to death, what are they going to do to you that you're preaching in Jesus' name? And then they ask the question, by what power or what name did you do this? Does Peter lie? Uh, Some other name. These people just misunderstood what I was saying. Does he admit it? I, I preach in Jesus' name, but I'm sorry it won't happen again. I didn't mean to offend you. Here's what Peter said. Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who is lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Peter's pretty bold, isn't he? Caiaphas was literally the man who led the charge to put Jesus to death, and he said, Jesus of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but God raised from the dead. How could Peter be so bold? One, he knew his salvation is found in Jesus Christ. And number two, he knew that salvation is found in no one else. And these men standing before him, they don't have salvation. Those men standing before him, if they were to have died right before his eyes, would have been in hell. And Peter said, I have to communicate this message. Because the only way for them to know what Jesus' death was all about is if I communicate it to them. Otherwise, they'll never know. And that's the same with us. And it's your first point this morning. We have to communicate salvation. We have to communicate salvation. And sometimes we look at this account right here and we say, but yeah, I know that, but Peter had an advantage that we don't. The the scripture says he was filled with the Holy Spirit. Yeah, but so are you. You are filled with the Holy Spirit. When you were baptized, when you were a kid, a few months ago, whenever you were baptized, God said that in your baptism you received the gift of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit lives in in you. The Holy Spirit isn't a feeling that you get. The Holy Spirit lives in you. And every time you open your mouth and you speak the message of salvation, the Holy Spirit gives you the words to say, and the Holy Spirit works through your words to work faith in someone else. We plant the seed and the Holy Spirit works. All we're asked to do is speak. And when you think about it, Salvation needs words to communicate it. Someone once said you could stand 30 feet in front of the cross and look up at Jesus on the cross dying and leave and have no idea what you witnessed. You can leave without forgiveness 
And that's true, isn't it? Because Caiaphas, Annas, John Alexander, they stood before the cross of Christ and mocked Him because they didn't get what was going on. Words are necessary to communicate salvation. And the same is true today. People can drive by a church and see a cross standing up in the sky. And they can know that a man named Jesus died on there. And yet they can drive by and not have salvation because they don't know what it means. In the same way, somebody can see your cross necklace, somebody can see your cross tattoo, somebody can see your cross earrings. And they know that Jesus died on that cross, but not get it. Words are necessary to communicate salvation. Whether it's the words found in Scripture or they're words from your mouth, they are necessary for salvation, to communicate salvation. And Peter knew this. And so he boldly proclaimed the message. And now these men, who are standing before Peter, had to decide what to do with them. And here's what we're told. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished. And they took note that these men had been with Jesus. I just want to stop and point out, this is one of my favorite verses. Uh, Because Peter and John, they are unschooled, ordinary men. We hold the apostles high up on a pedestal, don't we? And rightly so. God did a lot of good things through them for the church. But understand, it was God doing them. It's not these men who did it. God did it through them. You don't have to raise your hand, but how many of you graduated high school? If you did, you have more schooling than the disciples did. Because they're unschooled. They didn't go to school. They were fishermen from birth. They didn't have speech class. They didn't have grammar class. They didn't have English class or Greek or Aramaic. No. And yet look what God did through them because they spoke the message. The simple message of the gospel. Too often we say, we can't do what the disciples did. But really, we're hampering God and we're restraining God because we just don't speak the message. God can do big things for His kingdom when we communicate the gospel. When we communicate salvation. We just have to speak. Use our words. Anyways, back to what we're talking about. (laughs) Now they have to decide what to do with them. And here's what they decided. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin and then conferred together. The Sanhedrin is the ruling council, the big ruling council. Uh, What are we going to do with these men? They asked. Everyone living in Jerusalem knows they have performed a notable sign and we cannot deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn them to speak no longer to anyone in this name. Then they called them in again again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, Which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to Him? You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. After further threats, they let them go. They could not decide how to punish them because all the people were praising God for what had happened. Did you notice 
what the church told the disciples. The church, the church that's supposed to be praising God and, and loving God said, stop talking about Jesus. Stop talking about Jesus. Why? Because they knew this is the only way this Christian movement could stop, is if people stop talking about Jesus. And the same is true today, and it's your second point. Christianity stops when we stop telling people about Christ. Christianity stops when we stop telling people about Christ. We live in a culture, we live in a country where Christianity is decreasing rapidly. Over the last couple decades, Christianity is going down at a very fast rate. Why? Because we've stopped talking to people about Christ. We've stopped talking about it at work. We stopped talking about him in school. We stopped talking about him in public. Uh, we stopped talking about him in the house, in our homes. And so Christianity has gone down. And do you know what we do a very good job of? Mourning our loss. We do a great job of saying, remember back when, when everybody seemed to believe in Jesus? Remember when you could go out and you could talk about Jesus freely, when you could say Merry Christmas? Uh, remember when we used to, way back when we used to be able to pray in school? Oh, the glory days. Do you know what we struggle with? Talking about Christ. We look back and we, we, we mourn the fact that we can no longer openly talk about Christianity and Jesus. We mourn the fact that less and less people are, believe in Jesus. And yet then we go to work and they say, you can't talk about Jesus here. And we say, okay. That makes sense. I don't want to lose my job, so this sounds good. I won't talk about Jesus here. We go out to lunch with a friend that we know doesn't believe in Jesus, that we know is going to roll her eyes if we bring up Jesus. And so we say, you know what, I'm not going to talk about Jesus here either. We have holiday dinners, and we know that certain family members don't believe in Jesus, and so to keep the peace, to not offend anybody, I'm going to keep my, my lips zipped, and I'm not going to bring up Jesus. And do you know what's really convicting for me as a pastor? Your pastor. There are some of you who I've talked to who said, Pastor, you know, I, there's somebody at work that I want to share Jesus with, but my work says I can't, and so I, I really have to pick and choose. And you know what has been burned into my mind that I said to you? I understand. That makes sense. And what did I just do for you? I justified you not talking about Jesus in the workplace. I basically did what Caiaphas did and said, stop talking about Jesus there. You talk about condemning and convicting. If I'm honest with myself, instead of looking for any opportunity, every opportunity, to tell somebody about Jesus, I actually look for any opportunity and any excuse to not talk about Him. Why? Because I want people to like me? Because I don't want to offend somebody? Because I want to climb uh, up in the workplace? 
Because if I get fired, what's going to happen? Because I don't want to cause drama in my family. Uh, All of those are excuses. Uh, The real reason is because we want love and respect from people more than we want love and respect from God. We value people's opinion of ourselves more than we value God's opinion of us. But we have to speak. We have to speak because salvation is found in no one else. We don't speak because we want our nation to conform to Christian morality and we want uh, good Christian behavior. That's not why we speak. We speak because eternity is in the balance. It's hanging there. When people die, they either go to hell, where there's eternal damnation, separation from God, where there's pain and gnashing of teeth, anger, bitterness, pain, or heaven, where there's joy and eternal bliss with God. Those are your two options. And the only way to have eternal bliss and joy with God is through Jesus. The only salvation. And so we have to speak about what we have heard and what we have seen. And that's your third point. We have to speak about what we have seen and heard. And what is it that we have seen and what is it that we have heard? What did Peter see in here? Salvation's found through only Jesus, right? You know what else he saw and heard? He saw that teenage girl in the corner approach him. And he heard the words from her. You also were with Jesus of Nazareth. And Peter heard himself say, I don't know the man. Not once, not twice, but three times. I don't know the man. He looked for any excuse to not talk about Jesus. Peter had seen and heard what Scripture said. Be perfect, just as your heavenly Father is perfect. He saw and heard that God didn't say, be as good as you can be. He saw that God didn't say, uh, give a bunch of money to church and you'll be okay. He saw it wasn't, volunteer all your time, and and then you're going to get to heaven. No, it's be perfect. And we have seen and heard this too. And yet, what do we see in our lives? What did Peter see? Everything and everyone, including us, is flawed. I had that revelation earlier this week. There's literally nothing in this world that isn't flawed. Whether it be your computer, your cell phone, the the greatest robot on earth, your car, everything is flawed. I have an Amazon Echo. I always say, Alexa, play me this. And she always plays the wrong song. It's unbelievable. But everything in this world is flawed. Why? Because of sin. Because of sin, we fail God and we look for any excuse to not talk about it. That's what Peter heard and saw in his own life. But you know what else Peter saw in his life? He saw the risen Jesus come to him risen from the dead, and he came to Peter and he said, Peace be with you, Peter. Peace be with you. 
Look at my hands. Look at my side. I'm not dead. I'm alive. I love you and I forgive you. That's what Peter saw. He saw and he heard Jesus throughout his life say again and again, I must do the will of my Father. I must do my Father's will. Not man's will, but my Father's will. And he did it every single moment of his life. Not as an example for us, but for us, in our place. He lived perfectly for us. And then he even saw Jesus say, I'm going to obey my Father's will even to the cross to die for your sins, my sins, Peter's sins, so that we do have forgiveness. This is what we've seen. This is what we've heard in Scripture. And then you know what Peter heard? He saw Jesus on the bank of the Sea of Galilee. Standing on the shore, right after breakfast, Peter knew he was forgiven. Jesus had declared peace to him, peace with God. Peter, your sins are forgiven. I love you. And then you know what he heard Jesus say to him? Feed my lambs. In other words, Peter, I still have use for you. Yes, you failed. Yes, you failed, but I love you, I forgive you, and I'm still going to use you to tell people about me. Go and tell them what you've heard and seen, that the God of this world doesn't get rid of failures, that the God of this world has a use for flawed people, that the God of this world loves you enough that He died for you on the cross to spend eternity with you. Go and tell people of this love, this grace, that you have experienced because it's yours. That's what we've heard and seen as well. The God of this world loves us. He loves you. He knows your failures. He knows how you have failed Him. He knows how uh, you have let Him down and yet He says, I forgive you. I love you. Go. Tell people about this love and forgiveness because salvation is only in Jesus. And so we go and we boldly proclaim to all nations the life-saving message of Jesus. Salvation is found in no one else. There's no, under, no other name under heaven by which mankind must be saved. Let's pray. Dear Lord Jesus, we thank You that You loved us so much that You came to this earth and You lived perfectly, You died innocently, and You rose victoriously for us. We thank You that uh, Your grace has come to us and that You've forgiven us all of our sins, uh, and that You have assured us, reassured us of that time and time again. Uh, Lord, we thank You that even though we fail You, You still have use for us. Uh, it's an amazing grace that You have for us, and we ask that You send us out boldly to proclaim this life-saving message to all people, that they too may experience the grace and the love that is only from God, our Savior. In Your name we pray. Amen.